yourself and uh, let God speak to you this morning. We're going to start a brand new series today. For those of you that don't know, for, for many years, for actually really most of my um, life as a believer, I was a worship leader. So I, I led worship on stage and did music and, and um, uh, you know, so it's kind of surprising when it hit me a few weeks back, I have never done a series since we launched Fathom Church five years ago. I've never done a series on worship. And I was like, seriously? I just looked back and I'm like, I've, how have I never, like, it's not like I haven't taught on it, but I haven't done a series in which we are going to teach on what worship is and what it means to worship God. And so I'm really excited to dive into a brand new series on a topic that that I believe is this series is going to be transformational for you. I don't think it's just going to be transformational in, in how we gather and what happens in this space and kind of the musical worship. I think it's going to touch every part of our life when we really get into understanding what worship is. It's going to be transformative for us. So I'm excited to dive in. Um, we're, we're calling the series Breath of Life, and it's got me thinking that like breathing is not something you have to think about doing, Right? Like, when's the last time you said, re- reminded yourself to breathe? Like, you, you don't have to do it. Maybe on the way here in some traffic, you get caught in traffic, and you're like, breathe, Kyle, breathe. Person cuts you off or something. Or We've had a couple of uh, new babies born, and so it, it's possible uh, the dad, you know, at his, at his wife's side says, hey, breathe, baby, you got this. Or, or, the, the, or, the, or the mom is looking up like, you need to breathe. <laughs> you, you're the one that needs to breathe. Um, and, and so we don't have to remind ourselves to breathe. Like, you just naturally breathe. We take 19,000 breaths a day without ever giving second thought to it. And, and we can, we can um, give control. We have control of the depth of our breath and the pace of our breath, the rhythm of our breath. But we can't force ourselves to stop breathing. Our body was created to inhale and our body was created to exhale. So let's just do this for a second because it feels really good. Let's just do a little inhale through the nose. Feels good, doesn't it? Do it one more time. It feels good. It feels so good. Just when you do that, it's like, I feel like I, have to, I actually do have to not remind myself to inhale, but to remind myself to exhale sometimes. Anybody like that? Like a heavy nose breather? Like it drives my wife crazy? <laughs> There was, uh, when we first started dating, there was, there was this uh, young girl, um, uh, I can't even, her name's not even coming to me right now, but there was this young girl, she was probably nine or ten years old, and she asked Taryn, she goes, what's wrong with him? Because <laughs> I'm a heavy nose breather, and uh, we were like, what are you talking about? And she's like, he, he just breathes so loud, because I forget to to exhale and open my mouth and, and exhale. And, and as we begin to, uh, somebody's probably laughing because they've, uh, they've got a person that breathes heavy through their nose or something. Um, you know, I've, um, as we dive into the series, as, as I've studied the scriptures and preparing for the series, we're going to find some incredibly just profound things that the scriptures have to say about our breath and how it's, it's tied to our, our worship, our very breath. And we're going to turn to a passage in Acts chapter 17 today. Uh, we'll be looking through verses 24 through 28. So Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28. And, and we're going to dive in there just in just a minute, uh, so you can hold off on that. We're, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. I want to kind of let you into um, 
the, the, the scene here so that you've got some context as we move forward in, in this conversation. So Paul, if you were with us last week, Paul is a converted Jew who in Acts chapter 9 was radically transformed, has an incredible encounter with God, and he began to be an evangelist, not to Jews, but to Gentiles, to anybody that wasn't a Jew. So for, unless you're a Jew, like his, his ministry is really part of, of why we're here and his obedience in that. And so Paul is out on his missionary travels after that, and he, he stops in a place called Athens, you've probably heard of, and he's traveling with two, uh, two guys, one Silas, one Timothy, and he leaves them in a town called Berea. He travels to Athens, and when he arrives at Athens, he's noticing all these idols all over the place. Like you don't, like here in America, we don't go around and see idols over the place. But, uh, but uh, my friend Mark back here, who was a longtime missionary in Cambodia, you go there and you see idols everywhere. <laughs> you see idols everywhere. And they're going around in Athens and in Greece. And just think of the, the Greek philosophers and all the cultures and religions kind of crossing hairs there in Greece. And so Paul is walking around. He's seeing these idols everywhere. And he's noticing even these inscriptions written in, in the stones that say, to the unknown God. And so he, he's just arrived here, and he's just making his way through the city. He's stopping in these Jewish synagogues, and he's, he's starting up conversation, and he's teaching and preaching to, to uh, Jews and to God-fearing Greeks. And he's just pouring into the city in which God has called him to go into and evangelize. And so he's going around teaching, but he's noticing these idols and he's noticed this inscription to the unknown God. So eventually he gets an invitation from the marketplace or something to go and to hang out at this place called the Aeropagas, which basically means giant rock. So he goes to hang out, but this giant rock was kind of a meeting place that everybody knew about and lots of things took place here. And one of those was kind of like the meeting of the minds, a lot of teaching. They'd have like this community event weekly in which the people would come and the, really the philosophers would meet and they would kind of, kind of battle it out, um, articulating their reason and philosophy. And so they had invited Paul to this place. If you look through Acts chapter 17, I'm catching you up to where he gets up here and is speaking. And what the scriptures tell us is that there was really two predominant philosophies and philosophers surrounded. So he's not preaching to Christians. He's not really preaching to Jews. He's preaching to these really pagan philosophers from these two uh, different brands of philosophy, Epicurean and Stoicism. So, so Epicurean and, and, and Stoics. And so it's important that we understand this. And, and I'll, I'll, when we dive in, we'll begin to see actually how we see ourselves in these two kind of philosophies. First, the Epicureans were people that believed there was no divine intervention, that, that God has really no, he kind of maybe got it started if there is a God, but he's not involved in the affairs of people. And really at the, the, the core of Epicureanism is um, the pursuit of pleasure is the ultimate goal. So like, they, like what they, and, and for them, how they define pleasure is to get to this peaceful, tranquil place in, in which we're not affected by the outside world. Um, and, and when you think about that and think about our own lives, we actually buy into that. And, and some of that philosophy actually gets into a lot of our, um, our Christian culture, particularly not just with the pur- pursuit of pleasure, because most of us would be like, oh, that's, that's a bad philosophy. 
but when it comes to pursuit of pleasure and just like our happy place. Like that is actually, that philosophy has been layered and is a distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that here in a second. But um, so, so that's one is this kind of form of hedonism, basically the pursuit of pleasure. It, but it's more, it's, it's different. It's not like just going after like drug, sex, and rock and roll kind of hedonism that we think about. It's more of like this kind of this happy place. And, and how many times have we heard this guy wants to me, me to be happy type of kind of theology woven into the gospel. Uh, and then there's Stoics, um, which I was actually, early in my life, I, I had a, a mentor who, who was a Stoic, and, and I was actually really influenced by him in my, my early um, years as a, as a believer. He was a Christian guy, but he, he had a ton of Stoicism. And really, Stoicism has a ton of impact on the early church fathers, and, and they were kind of buying into this stuff. They'd been going for a few hundred years, these philosophies, and Stoics is, is they've got this, this quote that's virtue is the only good. Virtue is the only good. That, that, that's kind of one of their phrases. And so, and so for Stoics, it's accept the world as it is. Like, like just be okay with everything that is. And, um, and then work to do justly, which as Christians we should buy into, like want to act justly, want to uh, fight for justice, and, and to do good. But so really their whole uh, system, virtue is only good, is really about good deeds. It's about doing our part in, in the world, and which we can buy into. Like, yeah, we want to do good in the world, but at the heart of it, it's really just another form of legalism. And, and so here we've, we've got these, these philosophies that, that are kind of hedonistic and legalistic in Paul is going to stand up to these people who have very different worldviews, and he's, and he's walking around seeing the idols all over and to the unknown God, and, and, and I think we've got to hear this because both of these philosophies are really corrupting some of our theology, not just in our world, but probably in this room in, in which we've got this good deeds worked mentality where I just need to go out and do more for God, and, and, and what Paul is teaching and preaching at this philosophy meeting needs to resonate with our hearts today as we begin to understand worship kind of starting from the ground up and which is where he's at here with um, these, these folks. So let's read after all that context. Let's dive into Acts chapter 17, but it gets you in the picture here at the giant rock. So just imagine a giant rock behind me. Uh, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. So it's a powerful, there's a, there's a bunch of things I want to teach from this text when it comes to what worship is in our life. First, I think this text points it out there um, right to us, that God made everything and gave everything breath. I mean, we see this in our scriptures. This isn't foreign to us, Genesis 2 seven, right? We've got that text. We've heard that before. Remember that? Genesis chapter two. Um, 
Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed nostrils, uh, into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Psalm 150 goes on to this idea of we've received the breath. Psalm 150 expounds on it. The psalmist does. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So here's our first thing with worship. We Worship is simply returning back to God the breath that we've received from him. That's what it is. It's just simply returning it back to him. Um, And so he's really speaking directly to these Stoics, but begin to think about it like this. He's not only the source of our breath, he's the destination of our breath. And it's... And if we really begin to, to, to think ourselves in the culture of where Paul's at, we, we've got idols in our life too, and, and where maybe we don't see them kind of sitting out on the side of the road or hanging up in people's homes. Um, maybe it's in an idol of our TV, or I don't know where my cell phone is, but in our cell phone. Like, we, we're consumed with it. We are addicted to these technologies and, and, and in some ways, they're idols because we, we get more worried about losing our phone than forgetting about his presence. And that should just resonate with us this morning because uh, it's simply returning back the breath that God has given it. He's our origin destination. He's our source and he is our supreme focus. Uh, yesterday, I took Camden to Chuck E. Cheese which is among my least favorite places in the world. <laughs> it's, there's not a lot of environments that I intentionally go in um, in which you can feel the filth. You know, I can feel the germs. I, can, I feel like I can see them, and I can certainly smell them you know, throughout Chuck E. Cheese. So when I grew up, there was, and not too long ago, we were on the token system. You guys know what I'm talking about? You get your coins. And I love the token system because it's just fun. You get to jiggle around in your little cup and you get to take. So apparently we actually had some leftover tokens taking it there. And so we were excited about using those, but like apparently we're no longer on the token system. We are on the card system and it's like, just swipe your card. And so so this is a blessing and a curse because I, I, I like the token system, one, because it's teaching the value of a dollar to my children that they can slowly see their coins going down and ration them to the, just the games they want. What I didn't love about the coin system is the way my kids treated me after I had purchased $20 worth of coins and then daddy wants to shoot the basket or play Batman for a second and then it's the end of the world. Like daddy can't get three tokens to play Batman And I'm like, bro, I just bought you all these tokens. (laughs) So on the card system, we don't notice it going as much, right? He just all day, he never said a word. Daddy was playing games because he doesn't doesn't feel it, even though none of it cost him anything. And regardless of the token coin system, the economy that we are born into is in which we have brought nothing to the table. (laughs) While we were still dead in our trespasses, he gave Christ and died for us. So that's the, where our filthy rags are nothing, and he's turned it in uh, as white as snow. And so we, 
but many of us, we treat God like a, a child on the coin system. You know, when it's time to, to worship God every day, not just in the Sunday, when it's time to worship God, we feel like he's trying to take something from us, but we, he's not trying to take anything from us in which he has not, he's given us. You know, he, he's given it to us. And so, um, it's, so it's not, worship isn't even a sacrifice. It's just returning back to God that which he gave us. And so we've got to get that. It's simply doing this. Uh, secondly, worship is a transformational journey of our affection. Worship is a transformational journey. I think this is one of the more interesting texts in verse 27. He said, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. And to know the context, you've got to look at verse 26 right before what is God talking about? Or what is Paul talking about that God did what so that they would seek him? If you look at verse 26, it says that he set times and boundaries and set them in certain places so that they would seek him. So follow, follow my train of thought here and what, and what Paul is saying really is God has put you where he has put you. In 2018, in this era of life, as long as you have breath, in this city, in your occupation, in your season and situation, God has put you here in this place so that, God did this so that you would seek him and reach out for him and find him. This, is, this should explain a lot. Like we don't have to look any further. Whatever season or time or location you find yourself in, you're there to seek him. And the scriptures promise us when we seek him, we'll, we'll find him. The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we, were, uh, when we moved to Jacksonville, the closest pizza place to our house was Al's Pizza. And I'm probably going to start a little division in the church here, but I'm not a fan of Al's Pizza. Like, it's actually kind of gross to me. See, sorry, some of y'all are like, What? Um, but I just didn't like Al's pizza. I still don't like it. I've never been back. And so we went for several years here and I was like, there is not a single good pizza place in Jacksonville. I just didn't like anything. I'm like, and that's kind of a big deal. You move to a city, I need a good pizza place, right? We live off of pizza in some ways. And so I needed uh, a good pizza place. So eventually I found V pizza. Come on, somebody. It's good stuff. <laughs> If you haven't tried V, save up your coins, your tokens, because it's expensive, but it's good. It's amazing. It's amazing pizza. And, uh, and after that, like, everything's changed, you know? Like, oh, I love it. I love it. You know, I found, I found my pizza place. And, and see, this transformational journey, when we taste and see that he's good, like, everything else begins to pale in comparison. And so some of us, I, here's what I would submit. If you haven't, like, and there's a lot of reasons that we, our perception is what it is. Our experiences, uh, poor teaching we've received or a lack of teaching um, we haven't received. Um, there, there's a lot of reasons for the perception that we have, but, but on this journey, as we begin to seek him and reach out for him, the scriptures promise us that we'll find him and everything will change. Everything changes when we, we find him. I, I love the little details of this 
you know, seek um, and reach out. Because actually the, the Greek word for reach out is the exact same word that Jesus uses standing before skeptics when they're like, this can't be Jesus that has risen before me. And he says, reach out, touch my hands. Reach out and feel the scars and, and, and find, and find. It means to find for yourself. Reach out and touch for your, seek and find for yourself. And so many, so many um, people who, who maybe were, were raised in Christianity and they kind of go on the cloak of religion but have never encountered Jesus for themselves. We stay secondhand and, and I love digital content. In fact, in, in the coming six months, we're about to ramp up our digital comment, content online and, and podcast and video, all this stuff. We're going to ramp it up and do some, some cool stuff. So I'm not against it. But one of the things we've got to be careful of is we're, lo- we're living off in a social media culture. We're living off clips of everybody else's faith and not our own encounter. And, and, and it... There's nothing wrong with the clips. There's nothing wrong with the quotes. But it's not ours. And, and even as we begin to mature in this, and we, and so we got to be careful that we don't call our ability to regurgitate someone else's revelation as our personal revelation. And we call it maturity. No, we're just regurgitating what other people have said. We haven't encountered. We haven't reached out in our own season and touched and experienced God for ourselves. And so be careful and let's not label that maturity when we haven't truly experienced it. And he's saying something to these Epicureans who think that God is far off. He's like, no, he's not. He's close. He's ever present. He's not an idol in which you can walk into his presence and then walk out. You can't escape his presence. He's not far off. He's ever present and he's near. And he's near. And he's saying to the Stoics, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good. He's not impressed with your good works. He's not. He, the splendor of his holiness is what this next text we're going to look at here in, in just a second. So uh, when we find him, we find his worth and, and um, his mercy. And then that's really when our worship begins to happen, when we have found him for ourselves Worship is a response to God's worth and his mercy. It's a response to God's worth and his mercy. Psalm 29, 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. He, he's, he's worth it. He's worth C.S. Lewis has this great quote. It says, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him, uh, then a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. Just because we don't worship doesn't mean he's not worthy. Just because we don't recognize him as worthy in whatever season doesn't mean he's stopped being worthy. He's, he's always been worthy. And, and we should worship from that place because he's, he's worth it. And I think when we really begin to reflect, and, and I kind of lace in and outs, and so I think you're tracking with me. Worship in our lives and not just the musical set when we gather together, which we call worship music, like every space. Um, but most of the time, like let's just put it in, in the music when we gather together because I think it, it's... Um, 
it does impact our life. It, it bleeds over into, and that's a part of that transformational experience is seeking him when we gather and, and encountering him in this time that we share. Um, but it is when we come together to encounter his love, as we were just singing about, um, what's, what affects your worship and what prompts your worship? Does the worship leader's cue prompt your worship? Well, that, that's helpful sometimes. Reminds us to what something the scriptures teach us to do. You know, or are you prompted by a you know exciting part of a song? Is is your lifting your voice, praise, worship? Is it impacted by how good your week has been or how bad your week has been? Because begin to think about that for a second. You're not worshiping off His worth. You're worshiping off your worth. You're worshiping off, not off his character, worship on your circumstance or your character. And that's not what worship is. Worship is a response to his worth. He's, he's worthy. And so whether I feel like worshiping or not, he's still worthy. Whether I love the song or not, he's still worthy. Whether I connect with the style or not, he's still worthy. Whether my life is falling apart or in perfect harmony right now, he's still worthy. He's still worthy. And not only is he worthy, but it's in view of his mercy that, again, it becomes so profound personally. Romans 12, 1 tells us, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, all of it, as a living sacrifice, not crucifying it on the ground anymore, not killing a fattened animal with blood all over the altar. Can I get an amen for that, okay? Uh, not that anymore. With a, offer your body in view of God's mercy as a living sacrifice, and this is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable act of service. This, this is what you bring back. And, and where does Paul say it in Romans? It comes from in view of God's mercy. And so after the primary of God's glory and his worth and his holiness, after that, it's in view of God's mercy. And I think it really gets personal at that point. And, and some of us, we don't have an expression of worship in our daily life, not only on the weekend. We don't have an expression um, because we, ha- we haven't stopped long enough to reflect on his mercy and to be reminded of his mercy in our life. Anytime I'm having trouble connecting, I know of his worth, but anytime I'm having trouble connecting and pushing in, I go back to the foot of the cross and I realize of how merciful God has been to me. And then I'm reminded, all, I'm reminded all over again that really when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm just the guy who has come into the courtroom um, guilty and, and my sins, my, uh, my deeds have really, I'm supposed to be sentenced to hell, eternal separation from God. And I'm not worthy of anything beyond that, but he sees me before that and made a way and has, has shown his mercy in my life, his great mercy. And it's in view of that mercy that I just, I return it back. It's, 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 it's returning it back to him and it's a response of his worth 
and His mercy in my life. And if you ever have trouble, just even on a Tuesday and like reading the Word, just think about His mercy in your life. Think about those things that probably you, you deserve to, to happen because of our own sin, because of our own shortcomings. But Jesus, but God's love for us. And we have to transition just as these philosophers are having to transition away from a distant God um, an unknown God with a, really a worship of our, our own self, a pursuit of pleasure and a pursuit of our good works. We have to turn away from that. And, and we see this revealed as our worship ebbs and flows. And, and some of that's just life and, and our humanity experience, but sometimes it's that we're worshiping the wrong thing. If we, if we don't have quote-unquote, reason to sing, reason to worship, it's really because we haven't encountered his worth. We haven't sought and found, we haven't reached out and found it, or we haven't reflected on his great mercy in our life and received that. Um, For years, I sang songs. I sat under the cloak of the community of of worship um, without releasing personal worship. And the, the umbrella of the worship of the community um, does not um, cover over my personal responsibility to worship from my own heart. That he's worthy. And so whether you worship or not, he's still worthy. And, and so I just challenge you to, to press in to seek and to worship from a very personal level of the mercy that God has given you, not just on our weekends, but throughout the week. Um, Next, worship is from the heart and it touches every part of our life. Worship comes from the heart and it touches every single part of um, our life. The God who made heaven and earth and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and he does not live in temples by human hands. He's not not in this... um, our, our worship inside this building is that there's, there's something unique about it when we gather together, and that's the unique thing is that we gather together. But he, he, there was this, it's probably best described by one of my favorite stories in, in Scripture of Jesus. He's traveling along the road, and the Scriptures, John chapter 4, says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And, and anyone that, that kind of knows Samaria and Jews walking through Samaria like that, you, you had to go around Samaria, not through. And Jesus Jesus chose to go through because there was a woman he wanted to meet there, and she comes at noonday to, to, to be at the well to avoid all the other women because she didn't want to like deal with the other, <laughs> the other women early in the morning or late in the evening when they would come to draw water. And Jesus knew that, and he meets her trying to avoid those, um, that, that awkwardness or conversations or the gossip that takes on in that time. Um, and, and Jesus begins to say to her, and after reading all of her mail and what's going on in her life, uh, Jesus says, there's a time that's coming and, and it's here, it's, it's come already, in which the true worshipers, the, the ones the Father seeks, will worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and, and in truth. And he's speaking this to a woman who is really Gentile on the other side of it. She's a Samaritan on the other side of kind of the lineage of faith at this time. And 
And he's saying it's coming and it's here. And what God is seeking is a, a true worshiper who will worship him in spirit and truth. The word proskeneo here for worship means to bow down in reference. They, they would, there was some other acts in which they'd kiss somebody's hand and kind of bow down, just depending on where they came from, some of the things. But it was an ultimate sign of bowing down in reverence um, to a, a high dignitary, and in this case, God. Um, and, and the word here, spirit, is the word pneuma. If you were here last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit, and we talked about uh, the, the breath of God, the ruach of God is the Hebrew word, and it means breath. And the, the New Testament word here means breath too. So Jesus is saying to her, there's a time coming, and it's here, in, in which we must submit our very breath the Spirit of God that has been given to us, and we must worship Him submissively, putting ourselves aside and focus on ourselves aside to acknowledge and bring reverence and worship to Him. And truth, this, this word really is not like our subjective truth. It's really a submission of our, object, or, uh, of our subjective truth and a reverence to His objective truth, a submission to His objective truth. And so it's both. And so I think this calls into uh, question uh, those who would kind of do the religious thing and come into his presence and out of his presence and, and not seeing worship as every breath that I breathe, I'm making a choice of worship or not. Um, and then it also, when it comes to truth, those that would, um, would kind of do all the external things, but again, not be founded on his truth, but kind of doing their own kind of pursuit of pleasure and own thoughts on everything. Every, like God, like worship bleeds into every aspect of our life. Like when I rest, I, it's easy for me to, to I, actually God's been convicting me over the past couple of days about a few things. I won't go into all of it today. Um, but in my rest time, I've been, um, I've been really focused on me, Right? But worship, even in my rest, should be focused on the Lord. Like, that's really what the Sabbath is about. It's, it's about stopping work so that I can just connect. And one author put it like this, like, Sabbath is nothing more than clinging to the robe of the creator of the universe. Like, in my rest, it's to reconnect and to connect with God and to, to worship him. It's not so that I feel better, so I get to do all these things. Uh, you know, for myself, it's it's to bring him glory. When I when I work, um, I don't work as if I work as if unto the Lord, not just serving my boss. But I, I'm here, and this is, and and I think after a while, we can feel like when we see it gets into everything, like worship, every breath, it breathe, we breathe all the time, and let every breath, like you know, one everyone that has breath, praise the Lord. We can feel like it begins to constrain us, but what it really does is provide purpose and meaning to everything that used to not matter. And now how I serve my boss actually does matter. The spirit in which I do it with, the truth in which I live my life with, submitted before the Lord, actually matters. My rest used to not matter. Now there's meaning because I'm connected to God. And so when you feel like it begins to constrain you, don't miss this, that it brings purpose and meaning to every area of our life. It, it matters and he's glorified in it and he delights in the praises of his people. He delights in it. 
Like he, he's not looking judgmentally. He's just waiting um, like, a, um, like a parent whose children have gone on. I always think about this at the holidays and you know, we cherish those times together if our kids are spread out when they come back. We cher- just waiting, waiting for us to turn our attention and turn our affection and to be in one another's presence. Once again, worship is from the heart. It touches every area of our lives. Um, when we gather on Sundays, and I, I think I shared this last week. I'll share it again in case you know, I missed it, but uh, it's probably been a a couple months ago, I was in a gathering, and God really began to speak uh, conviction to my heart because as a worship leader, I've grown up and, and have degrees in music and different things, and so um, and, and been around it for a long time, so it's very easy to be critical musically and, and to criticize things I see, and, and God just really spoke a, a conviction to my heart, and um, he said, you know, every time you're thinking about something they should be doing or whatever, I'm not receiving any glory out of that. And I was sharing with someone else um, recently, the same thing goes when we're listening to a sermon, <laughs> you know? And, and, and I've had to learn this too, like when I'm, because I speak publicly anytime I listen to something, like my brain will go to all these critical things and I'll be thinking about a bunch of other things that should do and, and their facial expressions and they're all this random public speaking stuff. And, and God, it just critiques my heart and... and, and um, you know, convicts my heart. You know, every time you're doing that, I'm not receiving any glory out of it. And so it touches everything. It touches everything. And so don't, don't think we're escaping that and whether we give it to him or not, he's still worthy of it. Um, just as you can't stop breathing, you can't stop worshiping. It's just not a matter of, of um, if you worship, it's a matter of what you worship and who you worship. You're worshiping something just as you're breathing. Uh, the last thing here. Um, worship is the essence of our existence. It's, it's everything. He closes out. Uh, he, it doesn't close, but our, our, our scriptures today close out. Within him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our, our being. being uh, Paul is quoting this Cretan poet. He's connecting to these philosophers, some, a poet they know, and he's quoting um, this this guy, and he's, he's speaking to him, and, and the scripture that God uh, wanted me to go to is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Uh, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn among from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And I, and I just want to submit to close today, does he have the supremacy in everything in your life? Is every breath that we breathe to bring him glory, to bring him honor, because because that's why God gave us his son. That's to, to be first in everything. Not just in the world from creation, but in our lives today, in this time, and in this space. And God has put us in the time and space we are in so that we would worship and that he would be first in our lives. And here's what I think is so incredible. When worship becomes the essence of our existence, everything else just kind of starts falling in line. When he's first, everything else falls in line. It just does. 
Seek me first, kingdom of heaven, his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Everything's going to line back up. And God wants to speak something deeply into each one of our lives. I think it's going to impact our Sundays. I think it's going to impact that. But I think more than anything, it's going to impact our Monday through Saturday. Stuff that used to not matter matters. And my prayer is that God would quicken us. God would quicken us on a daily basis to worship him. Not based off of our circumstance, but on his character. Not, not based on our monotony or excitement of the day, but on his great mercy that he's shown us. Because just as we've got 19,000 breaths in a day, we've got thousands of many decisions that we make throughout the day, and we choose what we worship through those things. In every area of our life, we, we choose. And when we encounter, when we seek, and we reach out, we find for ourselves, it changes everything. As you seek him in this season and in the next season and in the next season, and you find him in that season, there will be no rock that goes unturned over the course of your life on this journey that is a transformation of your affections. There will be no rock that goes unturned in how Jesus wants to to transform your life. And he's just going to shine light on areas that have been dark and and what I've found is <clears throat> in our lives, we, the best pizza we've had to that point is the best pizza, right? And, and that's, that's as good as it gets, but then we go a little deeper and we find, oh, there's, there's better pizza out there. <laughs> and, then we move, and then there's better pizza and we go further and further and all through this he is transforming our affections and where once we worshiped out of duty now we worship out of delight because we found that he is good he is good I, I love the, the phrase from the chronicles of Narnia in which they're asking about Aslan the Christ character in C.S. Lewis's um, fiction novel and, and um, they're, they're asking about is Aslan safe and they say, no, but he's good. But he's good. And that's, we go on this wild adventure with the Lord, and like some of the things that we've hold close dear, things that we've had affections for that are very difficult for, to pry from our hands, it's, it's, it's not a safe journey. It's transformational. Everything changes. Um, but he's good. He's good. And you can trust him. And so I want to ask you to stand.